Recovery Elevator, episode 72. Hi, I'm Terrell. I'm an alcoholic. The weight of the world lifted off of my shoulders. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for 20 months and 22 days. On today's podcast, I've got not one, but two interviewees. I've got Jesse. He started MySoberRoommate.com. Turns out, you got a better chance of getting sober and staying sober if you don't live at the Sigma Chi house. After that, we've got Ty. Ty is somebody who's very special to me because she edits the podcast. I've asked her about 20 times if she could do an interview, and the answer has always been, no, I'm good. I'd rather stay behind the scenes and simply edit. Ty literally took the weight of the world off my shoulders when she said, Hey, Paul, do you need any help? What I now know about Ty after knowing her for nearly two years is that's what she does. She fully understands one vital concept required to get sober and stay sober. That is helping others. That would be sober. Ty is somebody that no matter what bind I'm in, what I forgot, be it my luggage while I'm at the airport, Ty is always there to help. Ty is always helping other people, and guess what? She's been sober for nearly a decade. There's no coincidence with that. So for the remainder of this podcast episode, and for the remainder of your day, don't ask yourself, what am I going to get out of this podcast episode? What am I going to get out of today? Ask yourself, after this podcast episode, what can I give to this day? How can I be of service to the people around me today? How can I make this day better for other people? Because Ty... She's been making my life better for a long time now. Thank you so much, Ty. Now let's hear from our first interviewee, Jesse. Jesse, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Jesse, why don't you start by giving us a little background about yourself, maybe what you do, where do you live, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, my name is Jesse Sandler. I'm a, I'm a social worker out in Los Angeles, California. Been uh, working in the field for uh, since 2009. Started my career working at UCLA Hospital. Uh, and then I transitioned into an intensive outpatient program working with people in recovery and just love the work. Nice. Now tell me more about My Sober Roommate. I cruised the website. It looks great, by the way. And what a terrific idea. Basically, it's about living with sober people because when you get sober, you don't have to change much. You kind of just have to change everything. Seriously, <laughs> everything. Exactly. If you're exactly. living with somebody who does not encourage your sobriety, embrace it or they're not sober themselves, and especially if they might be an alcoholic themselves, you probably got to move out. So how did you come up with this idea? And the instant I heard about it, I'm like, wow, this is brilliant. I got to get this guy on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So, you know, I, it, it came out of my work, actually. You know, I was working at UCLA, and then when I transitioned to the, to the outpatient program, I usually help my clients help them find places to live after they leave their sober livings. And we would go on the internet and I was just shocked to find that there was nothing out there to help them find other sober people in the community that they could live with. And as you said, you know, one of the, one of the worst things to do is to, to move into an environment with people who are using. And another thing that's really bad is to, especially in the beginning of recovery, to be living alone. You know, isolation sort of sort of is a breeding ground for addiction. So I, I decided to do something about it and came up with MySoberRoommate.com to, to try to help people uh, have a platform to meet other sober people. 
I totally agree with you about the isolation. One thing this disease does a terrific job of is making me feel isolated. Yeah. Like I'm the only person in the entire world, A, that's trying to get sober, or B, like I'm the only person in the entire world that's trying to get sober. Yeah. Now, is this different than sober housing or sober living? Do you do you find matches for sober living communities? You know, like the sober houses, right? Are, is, yeah. is, this is something totally different, right? Yeah, it's, to it's totally different than that. You know, obviously there's – there are certain people that need to be in sober livings for a certain period of time, you know, especially coming out of rehab. But the this is this is actually for people just looking to move into an apartment or a, a house on their own um, with other sober people. So it's not connected to or affiliated with sober livings or other sober housing. And sure. And there's probably just like getting sober, mm -hmm. there is a journey into sobriety. And what part of the timeline would you recommend that somebody use a service like my sober roommate? For example, when they get right out of rehab, do they use your service? You mentioned maybe go to rehab to sober living and then use my sober roommate or is, is, does it really matter when? I mean, I, I, obviously everyone's journey is different. The, the timeline that of the people that I'm working with in, in my practice is usually they go to rehab, but then they go to sober living. And then when they're moving out of the sober livings, that's the time to, to be finding sober roommates. But, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but a lot of times sober living is very expensive. It's very expensive and it's not something that everyone in the in the recovery community can afford. So I, I wanted to, to be able to, to provide something, a, a platform for people to meet who who can't necessarily afford, you know, a $5,000 a month rehab or a $5,000 a month sober living. You know, that's, that's something that's available to, to very few people actually. So this, this is for people all along the, the, the recovery spectrum. But I think that, you know, it's, as you'll see, when you go on the site, it, it has, it, there's a, a part where it says uh, length of sobriety and you can, you can pick, you know, how long you've been sober and, and really match up with people who, who have, you know, match that criteria for you. That is so cool. And I've heard yeah. great stories about sober living. And I've also heard kind of the opposite. It's super yeah. expensive. Yeah. Sometimes the landlords, they can be like slumlords basically. Yeah. Um, and this could be a total crapshoot too. It really depends on, you know, who you get paired with, but it looks like the tools in the criteria, you need to put your sobriety time. There's a lot of preferences, right? Like how far yeah. can you niche down with that? You can niche down to age, length of sobriety, gender area then it has a space where you can actually write a little bit about yourself to to show people you know a little bit of your personality but you know it's not it, just because you're on the site doesn't mean you have to live with somebody that you meet on the site it's just an opportunity to to meet people in in a in a you know sort of a safe online community that's completely anonymous so you you choose when you choose, when you share your email address and your phone number with those people to you know take it to the next level but this is just a jumping off point for people a safe online anonymous community Jesse, we're doing the same thing. I love yeah. it. This is awesome. Yeah, that's just like Cafe RE. And I do know of a couple people that have met in our private online community, Cafe Recovery Elevator, Cafe mm -hmm. RE, and they're living together. I think it's the coolest thing ever. And so you found an idea and you're, you're, you, you found a need in your, mm -hmm. in your social work. You're like, all right, I got to pair these people with other sober roommates. And you're like, oh. you're like, all right, this is a lot harder than I thought it should be. And then how did you go about the process of building this? Well, the process of building it, it's, it's taken about a year. I, I started out, I re reached out to a friend who actually built a website. He went to, to business school and he had this, this web development company that he worked with in Poland and he connected us with them. 
Uh, so we've been we've been working with them very closely for about the past year building this website. Obviously, there's a big time difference, so it's been early morning meetings and very late night meetings with them. You know, trying to work out the kinks, but it's it's really just been it it's been very slow and very meticulous, and we we really tried to to work out the kinks to make the the website work as you know as safely and as smoothly as possible. Nice. And talk to me about the pricing model. And I understand this is a service that you, you've got costs and people mm-hmm. have to pay for this, but I was just on the site and it said that it currently is it free right now for a limited time. And then what's yeah. going to happen after that? Yeah, it's completely, it's completely free right now. You know, we're, we're trying to build up our member base. Eventually somewhere down the line, we're going to be charging a small fee. Like you said, it, it, it definitely costs a lot of money to, to build the site and we, we want to provide this service, but we don't want to break anyone's bank. So it's going to be, it's going to be a, you know, a very nominal fee. People get to choose the subscription that they that they have. They can choose one month, three months, or six months. For one month, it's ten bucks. For three months, it's twenty bucks, and for six months, it's thirty bucks. And of that, ten percent of that, we're going to be donating to recovery-related organizations to really try to you know try to give back to to that community. Nice. I think it's so cool. You're giving ten percent back to organizations that support recovery, and and Jesse. You're up against two things. Number one, you're starting a new business. That mm-hmm. is always hard. And you don't have to convince me of the value. I already see it. I'm like, wow, that's pretty affordable, if not cheap, because I personally know there's a lot on the line. But you're right. going up against two beasts. Number one, starting a business is tough. Number mm-hmm. two, you're going against a stigma and a disease. I guess that's right. three beasts right there. Because yeah. there's a disease called alcoholism and addiction in general that they're going to look at your website and then their mind, the disease my disease, I have named it. His name is Gary. He'll be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go with Craigslist. I, I don't need my sober roommate.com. But Jesse, it, it's going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint. Obviously, you probably already know that. It's fantastic. And how can we find out more about my sober roommate? Where do we, where do we go to log on and stuff like that and create a, an account? Obviously, you can go to mysoberroommate.com. Also, if you go onto YouTube and type in my sober roommate without any spaces, you can pull up a, a short tutorial video that I made that helps people see what the process is of signing up and, and the simplicity of that. But yeah, like you said, there's the, the, the beast of addiction and the beast of you know, fighting against that stigma. That's, that's really what I'm trying to do is, is you know, bring some, some light to this, to this issue. And it's, it's an issue that affects so many people. And it's an issue that is very real and it needs to be talked about and there needs to be a place where where sober people can feel like they're not isolated anymore and it's you know it, it's too bad that it's gotten to this point but you know I'm glad that it's finally starting to to come to light that that it's something that people are talking about and and uh you know open to open to discussing because it's very real there needs to be a place, like you said, and fortunately, there is a place now, mysoberroommate.com. If I wasn't living in my parents' basement right now, I'd, I'd be there at a GIF. I'm just kidding. I moved out when I was 28. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm so excited for you guys in the near future. Another, just a quick question before yeah. we depart. When you were a social worker, did you were you able to see any like percentages or rates? You're like, hey – the people that are going out, when they leave rehab or leave sober living, if they get paired up with another sober roommate, they're like X percentage, you know, better likely to stay sober longer. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't give you an exact number on it, but I do know, you know, of the people I worked with that decided not to do that and decided to either move into their old environment where people were using or move out on their own, tended to do worse, tended to relapse. You know, a couple people got into big trouble, and it's 
it's something that I just, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to see happen anymore. And I wanted to, to provide people with a, a place where they could, you know, at least have the option of living with like-minded people and, you know, continuing on the, on the healthy path that they're on. So I leave sober living in Southern California. You're telling me if there's an opening at the Sigma Chi house at University of Southern California, that's not the best choice. Definitely not Sigma Chi. Gotcha. <laughs> it's fraternity out there. Yeah. No, Jesse, I love it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you Thank so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Before we hear from our second interviewee, Ty, let's hear from Cafe Ari. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Ty, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Ty. Ty, let's jump right into it. How long have you been sober? I My sobriety date is March 9th, 2008. Nice. You got eight years of sobriety. Just out of curiosity, Ty, what was your last drink? Do you remember it? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I do. (laughs) I was staying at my sister's, and I was raiding her liquor cabinet, which was very, very weird because they don't drink. They just had airline free drinks, airline things that they had collected over the years. Now, now hang on a sec. Were you raiding it? Like with a piece yes. of paper? You're like, that's No, a, I was raiding that, it. Raiding it. Okay, I'm thinking you're like, that is a 10 out of 10. That, I was opening the door and getting into their liquor. Okay, not doing inventory. You no. were raiding it. R-A-I-D. Okay, gotcha. I did plenty of raiding. Yes. Um, R-A-I-D-I-N-G and zero raiding of taking inventory. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. <laughs> so what was your last drink? It was a small, a couple of small bottles of Drambuie because that was all there was. And I didn't even know what it was, but it turns out it's a really dreadful scotch-based mixer, which if you drink a few of them, you get a little buzz. But, but it's, a, it's a mixer. Yes. And it's funny you say that it's all there was. And, and with alcoholics, we don't really care what's left. Mm-hmm. I got to a point one time in, uh, in Spain where, yeah, there were drinks on the bar, and I didn't know what it was. We were closed, but, uh, you know, we said, hey, guys, last call, and the non-alcoholics, they just set their drinks down and left, and then I didn't know what it was, and I just started drinking them. Yeah, so Drambuie, that's a mixer with scotch, with herbs and spices. Uh, yeah, I love it, Ty. And, Ty, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are, are you married, and what do you do for fun again? Okay, I am... Uh, retired. I grew up in Texas, mostly. Uh, Wisconsin and Texas, but mostly Texas. So that's where I say I'm from, and that's where my accent comes in. I work part-time for a young serial entrepreneur and uh, just do kind of odd jobs there uh, to fill in. I am a grandmother, and that's why we moved to Bozeman six years ago. And Ty, what do you like to do for fun? I hike. I like to go hiking. 
It's really being outside is what centers me. I've, I've heard that in the podcast a lot too from folks that being outside is something that really helps us. And I don't know if it's, it's not unique to alcoholics, but I think it might be important to alcoholics. Being outside is where I find my higher power when it never fails. If I put myself in a moment and actually am open to finding my higher power and listeners, I moved into a small condo in 2012. I was at an AA meeting in 2013 or early 14, I think it was 2013. And I looked across the room and I said, I think that's my neighbor. And sure enough, that was Ty. We share a very small wall. Um, and uh, yeah, she's my neighbor. And when I was drinking, I would sneak outside at nighttime you know, before the sun would come up or in the daytime, I'd make sure her car was not there and I'd very quietly drop these bottles in the dumpster uh, just so she you know, couldn't hear that I was drinking. Um, you know, and, and it was awesome knowing that I had an alcoholic living very close to me. Let me rephrase that. It was great knowing that I had a recovering alcoholic living very close to me as a resource. However, asking for help was very hard for me. It still is very hard. And I didn't ask for help. Simply knowing was not enough. And she can't read my mind. I found out my brother and my mom and dad can't read my mind. If I don't open up about it and talk about it, there's really no chance of success. But for the grace of my higher power, I did get sober on September 7th, 2014. After that, it's been a whirlwind. Life has been fast forward. And I walked out of my door, Ty. Do you remember this day? Mm-hmm. Walked out of my door. And Ty said she was retired just a couple minutes ago. And I was like, well, hang on a second, Ty. And I've got like two bags over my shoulders, a smoothie in one hand, a cardboard box, a dog on a leash, and, you know, car keys fumbling and bumbling, you know, just sprinting out my door. And Ty's watering plants or, or holding her dog named Jeter. She's like, hey, Paul, do you, do you need any help? And when I hear that question, when I used to hear that question, the answer was always no. It's like, no, I got it. I got it. Do you, uh, you know, Paul, you know, I'd ask myself, do I need any help drinking? Or do I, I would ask myself, do I need any help to quit drinking? No, I got this. I got this. I totally got this. It was no to all the questions when someone said, do you need help? But finally, with smoothie probably dripping over my hand, I was like, you know what, Ty? Yes, I do need help. And, and Ty, Walk me through that day for you. How was that memory for you? Well, I, I, I think that I had you over for coffee a couple of times and realized talking to you that you were doing juggling a lot of different things in your life. And um, I wasn't doing a whole lot. And I thought maybe I could help out. And it seems like somehow I had to learn how to do edit a podcast from that conversation. And, and and it snowballed from there. I said, I don't know anything about editing, Paul. That's okay, I'll teach you. And I learned how to do uh, several, th- I can continue in being around Paul Churchill, <laughs> learn how to do something new almost every week. And she said, Paul, do you need help? And I was like, you know what? I do need help. You can start now by holding Ben, my standard poodle on a leash. And, uh, you know, I got all my stuff loaded in the car. And I was like, hey, how about, can you edit a podcast? She's like, well, you know, I'm retired. I could probably learn. And you know, like, all right, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to send something to you via Dropbox. She's like, drop hot box? What? Say, <laughs> say what? 
All right. Okay. We're going to do a uh, Adobe audition. Uh, I have to audition for this? No, that's the podcast editing platform. But Ty has learned everything that I've taught her and she has edited the podcast, I think from episode 25 on. You might have noticed the podcast got a hell of a lot better starting episode 26 or whatever she started on. There's a lot of steps. When I started to explain it to her, it was like, okay, I'm going to record my section. I'm going to upload it to Dropbox. You're going to open up your Dropbox, open up Adobe Audition, make sure the WAV format is between 7 and 6 dBs. And then if it's quiet, you know, you, I mean, there's like 50 steps. And uh, she just started writing down on her notepad and paper, and she hasn't missed a week. I cannot do Recovery Elevator alone. I can't stay sober alone. So, Ty, I got to say thank you for helping me with Recovery Elevator, but thanks for helping me stay sober. And I always tell Paul, I, you know, editing is a big term. People edit music videos and things like that. I make things smoother. I make pauses shorter. I take out weird noises, but I, I, I don't drop in music. That's Paul's job. I don't make sound effects for bad words. That's Paul's job. But talk about service work, Ty. I've asked you to do an interview, I think, four or five times, and the answer is always no. No, I'm good. I like being behind the scenes. I don't need any recognition for this. No, I don't want to do an interview. Ty is, she's, she is, Ty is a recovery warrior. It just shows up in Dropbox. She edits it and doesn't ask any questions. She just does it. It's amazing. So I got to say thank you for that, Ty. And let's jump into the interview and hear more about your bottom. So referencing the podcast title, Recovery Elevator, when did your elevator hit its bottom, Ty? 2007, 2008. I mean, there may have been other bottoms and there may have been times that were lower. But for me, when I realized that I had no control over this because I had the illusion of control for many years, I think like many of us do who are alcoholics, I had always been able to give up alcohol for Lent as part of my religious discipline. And this year, I guess it was in in the spring of 2008, I, I made that decision and I couldn't stay with it. I kept finding excuses. I kept finding workarounds, you know, like, oh, if it's a saint's day, oh, it's Sunday, I don't, I can do it. And for some reason that just clicked. I don't, that I, I didn't have control. And I was very fortunate that in my life, Leading up to that, and I've had in my life a number of successful recovered alcoholics who were in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and who were open about the fact that they were in that in in AA. They didn't hide the fact that they were alcoholic from the world, and they talked about it. And they happened to be some of the wisest people I'd ever met. And I I always remembered things that they had said, like, I know one, one guy always said, keep on keeping on, and for somehow that was comforting for me. And so when I realized that I couldn't do this anymore, I was at another 12-step meeting that I was, had participated in that shared a building with Alcoholics Anonymous, and in the middle were Alcoholics Anonymous liter- was literature. And one of the things on that table were 20 questions to ask yourself if you think you might be an alcoholic. And I took it, and I went home, and I took the test. And I'd looked at these questions before, and I'd always yeah, that doesn't apply to me, that doesn't apply to me, I'm good, I'm not an alcoholic. And this time I kind of, for some reason, I guess grace of higher power, I answered the questions honestly. And I, I didn't like the answer because it was 
there were only four that didn't apply to me if I was being really honest. So then I went online and took it again. I <laughs> got the same answer. So I drank some drambui and I got up the next morning and went to church and I really did pray on it. And that Sunday night, March 9th, I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Nice. And I want to expand a little bit on the Lent program that you had. <laughs> How many years had you done the, the, the not drinking for Lent? Maybe on and off nine. So nine eight or nine. So yeah. nearly a decade of not yeah. drinking for Lent. And it sounds to me like your addiction was lying to you in your own voice that it progressively, each time trying to quit for Lent, it got a little bit more difficult. But it sounds like your addiction was saying, well, you know, it, it's Saint's Day. Mm -hmm. It would, you know, the saint would probably want me to drink on this day. What did you realize? You, you realized you didn't have control. What was that like? Demoralizing. Incomprehensible demoralization is what they say in the program. And the whole year, couple of years leading up to that, you know, waking up in the morning and saying, well, I'm not going to drink. And not having a hangover when I said that, just not feeling right. You know, stuffy nose, head not clear. And by four or five o'clock thinking about drinking and then doing the switching drinks. Okay, I'm going to switch from beer to wine and I'm only going to drink really good wine because I was at the time working in restaurants and it's learning about really fine wine. So I only drink good wine. But then at 10 o'clock, I ran out of the bottle of good wine and I was up at the corner store, which was within walking distance, buying the 7-Eleven wine, which, as you know, is not fine wine. It's more economical, indeed. Yeah. But talk to me about your drinking habits, Ty, before, before you quit. I was buying wine in boxes. Again, not fine wine at the time. I think they might do that now. But because then my husband couldn't see how much I was drinking, I was hiding empties. I was buying vodka and drinking vodka and hiding that because it was clear in the glass and I felt that I wouldn't, nobody'd know. I was socially, what I called socially drinking was pre event, you know drinking before the event so I wouldn't have to drink so much at whatever I was going to so people wouldn't know I was drinking. And I don't have a huge capacity. I never did, but my capacity was getting bigger. Ty, you've heard almost every podcast episode I've put out, you've edited them all. And I've heard that same line that, mm -hmm. you know, people were drinking before the social events where there would be drinking. Is that alcoholic behavior, do you think? Oh, definitely. Well, I've, I've heard it enough in AA meetings, and if I've mentioned what my concept of social drinking was, I've gotten nods and laughter in meetings. And so if I were to say you might be an alcoholic, if you're drinking beer before the Super Bowl party, would you be an alcoholic, you think, Ty? Yeah, it would pretty much qualify. If that was a question on the questionnaire, yeah, mm -hmm. that would indicate you would fall in the alcoholic category. And Ty, talk to me about relationships with uh, with your husband. Mm -hmm. I know you just uh, celebrated, was it 20 years? Yep. Congratulations, 20 years of marriage. And what was it like with, uh, with your husband before you were drinking and then after you were drinking? There was just a distance. Uh, when I got sober and when I finally got the courage to tell him that I was going to AA and I was an alcoholic, his reaction was, I've only seen you drunk three times in the last 
thir- at the time 13 years, how could you be an alcoholic? And part of that was he didn't want to be married to an alcoholic. Nobody says, oh, I think I'll find an alcoholic and get married. Well, that's another, that's another program. But I was not available. I was not present. When I was physically present at some things, I wasn't emotionally present because I was masking my emotions with alcohol. I was what they call, I guess, stuffing them. Uh, Numbing feelings was a big thing for me, keeping from thinking. And I had come from a really busy life working administratively in academics and just almost literally overnight was able to go into a very relaxed, calm life. And I think that I filled up those spaces by starting to drink. And because I was older, uh, I was 58 when I got sober, and I'd say my drinking escalated in the 10 years prior to that, just incrementally each year. It's a progressive disease. It's especially progressive in women, and it's really markedly progressive in older women. I have never had to go out and do some controlled drinking to experiment and see if I really am an alcoholic because I'm terrified to do that. And so fear really can't keep you sober, but fear can put the fear of God in you. (laughs) Absolutely. And how has your relationship changed after you got sober almost nine years ago? Well, there's more laughter, uh, I think. And I'm just more present. I'm more present. Um, and, and with the rest of my family, I, I think my uh, relationship gradually in the years since I've been sober with my sister has improved a lot. Let's talk about how you got sober almost nine years ago when the rubber hit the road and you started moving forward in sobriety. How did you do it? Because of those friends that I had who were sober in AA, I knew that AA was where I needed to be. And I think I avoided admitting that I was an alcoholic because I knew that once I admitted that to myself and admitted that to other people, that that was it for me. I wasn't going to do something different. But when I went to my first AA meeting, that weekend there were a lot of what we call God moments, higher power moments. Let me interject real quick with a question. When you admitted to yourself you were an alcoholic, when did you get sober? Was it when you filled out the questionnaire sheet? Mm-hmm. Then did you get sober? Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the next day. So if I'm hearing this correctly, you said yourself out of your own mouth or in your own mind, you said, I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And the next day you got sober? I'd suspected that I might be, but I was, you know, the, our, our ability to deny facts right in front of our faces is huge. And I'm trying to drive a point right here <laughs> is after doing 70 interviews, it's, it's obvious, and including myself, when I finally realized and I reached out for help, how I, I was ready to go to rehab, it's no coincidence that I got sober about five days later. And it, it's, it's huge. It's huge when that moment happens. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's when you just give up, right? You're like, I have, I have no power over this. Surrender. Surrender. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word. A- accept and surrender. Surrender and acceptance. Absolutely. And Ty, what does your recovery portfolio look like today? How do, you, how do you still do it? Does it look similar to what it looked like eight years ago? Well, as I've gone through different moves, different places, 
different meetings, being in Alcoholics Anonymous, learning new things. I'm, I have been able to learn from other people instead of thinking I could do it on my own. I've been able to listen. And what I've learned works for me is I get up in the morning, I do prayers, I do uh, readings, both AA readings and other readings, and I do meditation. And the meditation has happened within the last year. And it's something actually I learned from someone on the podcast. <laughs> podcast recommendation. Yes. Speaking of the podcast, mm-hmm. what have you learned, if anything, from editing almost 45, 50 podcast episodes? Are there uh, any, you know, any similarities that just stick out like every other episode? You're like, oh, that person went through the same thing or every episode, anything you, you can talk about that you've learned? Well, in a way, you know, everybody's story is just so different and so interesting. And we're all the same. Getting to a point the point of admitting, the point of surrendering, I think, is is a common theme of, of just and accepting that I am an alcoholic. I can't do this. I need help. And I hear that over and over again. But it's also an opportunity for me. It, it, editing the podcast has just been such a great uh tool in my recovery portfolio because a I get to hear them before everybody else does and I love being like on the inside in in the background but I also um it's like going to a meeting every week almost except I go to more meetings than that Uh, I use that as the podcast as one of the tools in my portfolio and I agree 100% with what you said, Ty, about as soon as people surrender, they just lay down on the mat and they don't get back up and try to drink normally again. That's when the rubber hits the road. Mm-hmm. And that's when the sobriety date usually happens pretty close to that moment. And Ty, we have reached the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Number one, Ty, what was your worst memory from drinking? One day I came home from work and my husband and I was working in a restaurant And my husband said, I have something to ask you. And he pulls out an empty bottle of vodka. And he said, I found this in the closet. And my whole body changed temperature. My stomach dropped. I'd been found out. And I made up this story about, oh, I just didn't know what to do with it. And I just stuck it in there. I forgot it. But the truth is that I had been literally drinking in the closet Uh, on occasion and I remember doing that and thinking well this is kind of alcoholic-ish but not really doing you know being still in denial and I kept drinking after that incident but it was one of my worst memories. Ty we've all heard of the aha moment did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you really can't control your drinking? Well, that was one, right? I lived at the time in a resort town where there was a huge tradition of drinking. Restaurant workers are really notorious for drinking after a shift, and I would just tag along with everybody else and uh, try to keep up. And there was a party uh, celebrating the end of the season at the restaurant I worked for, and we just went all over this little town. And I did improv, which is was very unfortunate. I did not do karaoke, thank goodness. I 
had to be assisted walking home, not driving, walking. I had to be assisted. The next day, or two days after that, someone who worked at the local grocery store, I was in there, he said, hey, dear all, you were really drunk the other night. And it's just... So it, was, it was part of my improv, part of the act. <laughs> Ty, did I hear that right? You did improv? I, tr- I did not do it well. Is this like comedy night improv? There was an improv, little improv theater in the village, and we decided we would go. And my stepdaughter, who is an actor uh, and has done improv, said later on when I told her this, said, oh, we love drunks. Ty, I just learned something new about you. And, <laughs> and if there was 50 people in the room, strangers, and I had to pick one person and say, all right, pick one person who you think has never done improv, I would have picked you, Ty. <laughs> That's awesome. If there's any footage of that, I don't know if YouTube was around or cell phone cameras around that day. Unfortunately, I, I only, I didn't have memory blackouts. So I unfortunately remember that. And, but they were laughing with you. Yes, uh-huh. maybe. Let's hope so. Next question, Ty. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward? And please tell me it includes editing the podcast because I can't find another Ty. You are irreplaceable. <laughs> uh, no one is irreplaceable, Paul. And you know that. Yes, of course. Why not? Why okay. not keep lo- learning? Um, so I, I think I just heard you sign up for 400 more episodes. Is that is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. But yeah. Okay, everybody, you need to know that when I go on, have gone to my sisters on vacation, I have had the opportunity to edit the podcast at my sister's house. Yeah, she'll call and be like, "Hey, I've, I've looked at Box Drop, and I don't, I don't see the, the the file yet." I'm like, "Okay, Ty, it's it's a Dropbox, and uh, I'm uploading it right now." No, you're you're amazing. Am I uploading Ty. or downloading, or is it? interfacing yet yeah we down upped it one time we 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 skipidled it uh we've done all kinds of stuff i have to call paul over sometimes to poke at my computer to make it do something very simple yeah hey ty do you see the wave file yet and she's looking out the window like no i don't see you waving at me i'm like no it's a dot it's, it's mp3 we can convert it to dot wav wave file all right i'll be right over ty <laughs> <laughs> uh next question ty what's your favorite resource in recovery Alcoholics Anonymous is is important for me, and I really enjoy the Recovery Cafe, our our Recovery Cafe accountability group. Uh, Both of those are something I tap into almost every day for some reason for the last few months. And and in my experience, people's attendance at AA meetings can wax and wane as long as it doesn't go away. That's all good. But uh, I've been going to a lot of meetings lately and couldn't sleep one morning, went to a 7 o'clock meeting, thought I'd just do it a one time. I've been going for months now. It's just crazy. And Ty, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Give. This is also a recovery slogan. This too shall pass. And give time time. I love it. And Ty, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Don't be afraid. I mean, don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to reach out and uh, ask for help. When I went to that first meeting and admitted that, hi, I'm Terrell, I'm an alcoholic, the weight of the world lifted off of my shoulders, and I had no idea that would happen. 
It's incredible how that happens. It happens as soon as you reach that point. And so I got a couple other questions here before we go. What have you learned about yourself in sobriety? That I can handle a lot of things without having to be inebriated or drunk or altered. In my first three months of sobriety, I had to have some uh, biopsies done. I did them sober, uh, worrying about how that was going to turn out, did it sober. Uh, In sobriety, I've had to deal with the death of my mom. I was able to be present with her in the years leading up to that when she, she was declining and be with her and be with her when she was dying. And also being able to be present for my grandson. I got sober when he was 18 months old. And so he has never seen me drunk. He has never seen me drinking. And that's important for me to have been clear the time for his life. And Ty, what's your proudest moment in sobriety? It's being there for them, being, being able to show up. Being present, showing up for the people who are most important in your life. And Ty, before we depart, you got to give listeners your own a customized you might be an alcoholic if line. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if you go to one of the three liquor stores within walking distance of your house and the kid behind the counter says, say, I, I can give you a discount. AKA, would you like to sign up for our frequent flyer program? I don't even know if that's legal, but I was get you know, he said, oh, yeah, we give locals a discount, which to me meant people who drink come through. And sure, drink. that's, that's a nice their... way of saying that, locals discount. Yeah, <laughs> okay, oh, I'll sign up for that program, but not the uh, not the loyalty program. No, no, no. Um, Ty, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, doing an interview, and thank you so much for editing the podcast and helping me out with the recovery because I couldn't do this without you. Thanks, Paul. Now, the initial topic plan for this podcast episode was 50 ways to stay sober over the 4th of July. Then I looked at the calendar and said, okay, 4th of July is on a Monday. If your town is like my town, your festivities started long before the 4th. Oh, fireworks on the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and you betcha on the 4th. If you made it to listen to Monday's podcast and you made it through sober, there's a good chance you're going to roll right through this holiday kicking some major ass just like the USA did against a bunch of guys in red coats in the 1700s. So recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. Oh yeah. Happy birthday, USA.